I just want to welcome you today and, uh, and, and say thank you for joining us. We hope that you've been blessed so far, and we pray that God's Word would really be a blessing to you today. If you're here for the first time or you haven't been here for a while, we just love God. Um, we want to be real people who, who come from all walks of life, and we're about God advancing God's kingdom. And so we, we, we just hope that you feel the presence of God here and that you're ministered to. We love to connect with you. If you'd like to connect with us, there's a connection card there. Uh, just fill it out for us so that we can give you a call and maybe we can get together or, or uh, pray with you over the phone or just maybe fill out some information. If you're interested in knowing about the church, we'd love to give the information you need. So today, if you would go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to talk to you today. I want to chat with you for, for a minute about the purpose of Scripture, the purpose of of scripture, the purpose of his commandments. And I'm going to use those interchangeably. I'm going to talk again primarily about the word of God, his Bible, which is which is a covenant that we have between God. It teaches us about his ways. And I want to talk to you about the purpose of scripture. Now, um, as, I, as I talk to you about the purpose of scripture, I want you to know that even though the scriptures, we believe them to be infallible, meaning we believe them to be perfect and divine we are not perfect and divine are you with me we're not perfect and divine and all of us have uh life experiences and different filters and different cultures that teaches us or that has affected the way that we interpret and understand scripture and we interpret some certain things very differently and it doesn't make us wrong or right it just makes us human trying to grab a hold of god as he speaks god to us so Jesus would say things, and the disciples were like, uh, and Jesus would say, don't you get it? Uh-huh. Right? So there were moments like that all the time with the disciples, and it hasn't changed today, right? It hasn't changed today. So today, when I talk about understanding the purpose of Scripture, I want us to be aware of the fact that, yes, we believe the Scriptures to be divinely inspired. The only problem is that we're not. The only problem is that we're human. And, and we have to come to grips with the reality of that. I'm going to tell you really quickly that I believe the purpose of Scripture to be solely to draw us close to Jesus. purpose of Scriptures is to lead us to this personal relationship with God, that we would walk with Him in a God-honoring relationship. It's the purpose of Scripture. But we can turn to the Scriptures for many reasons. We can turn to the Scriptures for a plethora of reasons. And the reasons aren't necessarily bad. But if the, center, if, the, if the centerpiece of why we seek the Scriptures is not to draw close to Jesus, we're going to be far from true north. And one centimeter off is far from true north. Are you with me? The, the Titanic was h- how much off of the, its destination? I don't remember. Who recalls that? Who's a history buff? Just, just a couple angles off. And it led the Titanic right into an iceberg, right? So is the reality of our faith. If our true north is Jesus, we seek scriptures for Jesus. Jesus is the reason for everything we do for our life. We want to draw close to him. We want to have a personal relationship with him. We want to become the sheep that hear his voice. That's what matters. To love God, to hear his voice. We want to be aware when the shepherd speaks. I remember... Well, how do I say this? 
there, are, there have been multiple misconceptions in my mind about scriptures. I've been through the battles of translations. And I've been through the battles of seeking the scripture to promote myself. I've been through the battle of seeking the scripture to become a better Christian. And all those things sound really good. And I'm not saying don't seek the scriptures to grow. But what I am saying is that the true north in my relationship with the scriptures at points hasn't been just getting to know Jesus. And I would prepare messages and my hope in my heart was uh, maybe I'll be like a, a powerfully anointed preacher that would preach the word of God. Or, or maybe I would be an excellent uh, preacher who would exegete the scripture or study the scripture or know the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic well. And, and I wanted to be applauded by my peers. And I wanted to have acceptance within the homiletic group in my school or whatever it may be. I wanted those things. And deep within, I felt like the scriptures was my ticket to be promoted in God. I was looking for promotion without understanding that Jesus, through his grace, promoted me to sonship. That makes sense? I'm looking for promotion as a servant when I've been adopted. Are you with me? So there was a point where I said, I'm going to seek the scriptures till I sin no more. That can be very problematic because the scriptures just become a mirror that shows how wrong you are. Right? And then I said, I'm going to seek the scriptures until I become a great preacher. But then my purpose was just preaching. The Bible says many will stand before him. It says, God, I healed the sick. I set, you know, people were free from demon possession. I did all these things for you. And Jesus, depart from me. I knew you not. So I can be about the kingdom life and do the kingdom business and yet not know the king. It, it kind of baffles me because we can be at the feet of Jesus and be far from the feet of Jesus. I want you to think about the soldiers when Jesus was on the cross, right? They were at the feet of Jesus, literally, yet they were far from the feet of Jesus. And I think that a lot of the church is in that place. They're at the feet of Jesus. We're in his house, right? We're with his people. The earth is his footstool, but we're so far, it's like we're on a different planet. When we seek scripture... The true center, purpose in our heart has to be Jesus. Everything else is a cult. Okay, everything else is a deviation. In other words, if anything else becomes center other than Jesus, I have just fallen into the occult. Now, let me explain that. I love what Ravi Zacharias said. Ravi Zacharias will describe an occult as any, anything that deviates from the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, right? Anything apart from Jesus. And so somebody asked Ravi, Ravi, you know, because Ravi preached in the Mormon temple, and he preached about the sufficiency of Christ in the Mormon temple, which I think is pretty cool, meaning that Jesus is all you need in the Mormon temple. That's a big deal, right? And they, asked, and they said, you preached in the Mormon temple, but, but, but aren't Mormons, aren't they in a cult? And he said, well, wait a minute. Let's, yes, they are, but let me explain to you something. Anything that deviates from Jesus being center is a cult. So there can be an occult Pentecostal church, Baptist church, Methodist church, Lutheran church. Reality is that there's cult practices in our lives, and as we walk with Jesus, whether you want to receive it or not, we get delivered. Are you with me? So 
Anything that isn't, anything that may deviate us from Christ uh, is, is, is not the purposes of God. It's not the purpose of the Scripture. The purpose of the Scriptures is simply that we would know Jesus, that we would hear His voice and follow after Him. Distractions, distractions, distractions are the weapons of the enemy for you and I. I've said this a hundred times. I don't mind saying it again. I don't believe that I'm at a place anymore where the devil can get me to outright deny Jesus. I don't believe that in my heart of hearts. I could be wrong, but I don't believe that the devil can get me to just say, I deny Jesus. But I don't believe that he has to do that for him to win the battle in my life. I believe all the enemy has to do is get me distracted, get me away to veer left or right, and he's won the battle. Because if I veer left or right, then I'm walking away from the true purpose, which is knowing Jesus. And I may know Scripture, but I may slowly but surely fall away from Him. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the reason, the sole purpose of Scripture. And I want to talk to you. I believe that the verses that we're going to talk about today will really speak of that reality. And again, I share with you this week the example that one time I was preaching the word and there I was in the pulpit just hoping that I could be approved by my peers and that I preached another home run, uh, home run sermon according to my peers, of course. And, uh, and when I sat down, I opened the scriptures and there I opened a John chapter 5 where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but you ignore me. The reason for scriptures that you may have life, turn to me. I felt like God was really dealing with me. He says, look, you're in the scriptures, but you don't know the scriptures. Again, you're at my feet, but you're not at my feet. You're in my presence, but you're not in my presence. Does that make sense to you today? Do you see how that can happen? I believe that if uh, the scriptures that we're going to read gives us a picture of what it looks like, uh, what the purpose of scripture is, and I'm going to dive into different verses, and my hope and prayer is that really that you will be encouraged uh, and, and, and be free to love Jesus and to seek scriptures for Jesus. It's much more freeing than trying to seek scriptures to gain a promotion in God. Now listen, uh, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before I go there, I'm going to give you the context of what's happening in, in Timothy. Uh, the, this is one of the two letters that was sent by Paul to Timothy, and Timothy is a spiritual son of Paul meaning that Paul brought him to Christ, and Timothy went with Paul in many of his missionary journeys. Timothy was right there with Paul. Paul said about Timothy, this is my true son in the faith. And he also said about Timothy, as the son goes with his father, so is Timothy to me. You know the nature of his character. And Timothy wasn't called to be a pastor as much as Paul was training him to be a missionary like him training him to be a blessing to the churches and to pick up the ministry, that apostolic calling, per se, over Paul's life, passing it down to Timothy, that he would be a blessing to the different churches that Paul had planted and, planted and ministered to. Now, in the process of that, Paul was writing Timothy to encourage him, encouraging the guard the gospel that he received, the good news, the commandments that he received, the good news of the gospel. And at the same time, he was instructing them on how to instruct the church that he was ministering to, which happened to be Ephesus at the time. Now, 1 Timothy 1, 3-7 reads this way. As I urged you, 
Paul dives right into the meat of what he's trying to get to Timothy as he's now in a sense a a disciple, discipling Timothy so that he could disciple the church. Paul says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith okay now here is paul and he's saying look timothy remain in ephesus and this is what i want you to do number one i want you to deal with that group of people especially with the false teachers who are there who are focusing their energy on other doctrines who are focusing their energies on endless fables and who are focusing their energy on uh, or on fables and on en- Focusing, focusing their energies on endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Part of the problem that Paul always encountered as he was leading people to Christ is that there were a people who were Jewish, who were strongly connected to Judaism, not all Jews, but just a few who had come to Christ, right? Uh, they were still strongly connected to Judaism, and instead of appreciating the heritage, they were, they were taking those Judaistic roots, and they were trying to put them on a people who never had to live, never understood, or knew the law. It was as if Paul was going to a town, and he was talking to people who never heard anything about Jesus or the law, and they were getting saved. And after Paul would leave, these people would come and would say, oh, you got saved, so you gave your life to Jesus. Great. Are you following the law? Well, you can't be saved if you don't follow the law. And so they were interpreting another way, another gospel, another doctrine. And everywhere in the gospel, you see it over and over again that Paul again addresses this idea of obeying the law for the sake of salvation, which is inappropriate, which is not godly, which is not the gospel. You cannot walk away from the fact that it is condemned in the New Testament. And over and over again, Paul says, in Galatians, for example, when he talks about a group of people who are looking to circumcise those who are Gentiles, he says, I wish they would castrate themselves, those harassers. And he says, how quickly you depart of your faith that you first received. So number one, he says to them, stay away from the law. Stay away from these things, this other doctrine, which is not what you first received. For us, I believe Paul would be saying, stay away from a legalistic expression of faith. Let's say that again. I believe that Paul would say, stay away from a legalistic expression of faith. There are some of us who, there are certain things that we practice that we think they're godly, but in itself they're not godly, right? And they're more condemning than they are freeing. I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, a, a very easy example will be the issue of modesty. And you know, the way that we're supposed to dress, right? How, how long has the church really struggled with this issue, with the ladies? You have to dress this way and act like this, and you got to take off your makeup, and you, you got to do this, and you got to look like that, and you got to do that, right? And it, it, and it brought all these things that really aren't gospel, right? And I love what John Bevere says about this. You can be dressed and covered completely and still have a seducing spirit, Right? So there are things that we can introduce that are not really gospel, that they can become bondages in our lives. And we can talk about all kinds of different things. 
It could be just even the way that we would interpret certain scripture. I remember when I first came to Christ, I gave my life to the Lord. I knew that I was saved, but immediately I encountered a cult. And that cult was under the guise of Christianity. They said they loved Jesus. I think they believed that they loved Jesus, but they sure hated me. I remember when I was 16 years old that they would pick me up from school. They told me, no longer visit that church that you think you got saved at. Don't connect with those people. We will pick you up. We will drop you off. Don't talk to your family. You only talk to me. I remember sitting in their apartment, being in the middle, surrounded by young adult men who said to me, you think you're saved, huh? Are you still struggling with sin? I would say, yes, I am. He says, well, you're not saved. And that's to prove that your church is a satanic church. I remember sitting there, I know it's hard for you to believe now, but really pulling my hair literally. Now it doesn't happen, praise God. I wish I was like this before. It's funny, I'm making light of this because it's a heavy topic, but I literally remember being in excruciating pain, thinking what will become of me. Being in deep torment, being told, we pick you up, we drop you off. And at a certain time, we'll tell you when you're ready, and then you'll be baptized. Because baptism has to occur this way, and it has to occur in this name. And this is how it needs to happen. And I remember sitting there, as they told me, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not of God. That's satanic. All of this is satanic. And again, they were disconnecting me from anyone that had influence in my life. I remember sitting in the park and praying, oh God, oh God, I can't go on like this. I prefer dying. I said, God, reveal to me the truth. And I remember coming back home from the place that I was supposed to meet this minister who was going to give the okay for me to be baptized. And I told him, I don't believe like you believe. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we need the power to preach the gospel. I was just saved. I had no idea what I was saying, you know. And I remember just God saying to me, you need to uh, show me 1 Corinthians and how it talks about the gifts will depart only when the coming of the perfect comes. And, and God said to me, son, it, it was as if I heard him say, I haven't come yet, and you're certainly not perfect. And I remember sharing that with the minister, and he looked at me and says, I read the Bible up and down. You don't teach me the scriptures. And I remember that moment, I said, this is not of God. But I remember that ride home and sitting in that car surrounded by four men for three hours, looked at me and said, we wish we would have seen you in heaven, but now you're eternally damned. I remember that. I remember that. But let me tell you something. That started with one degree off. Veer off Jesus. You end up there. The legalism of the doctrine. Number one, Paul says they're paying attention to other doctrines. Walk away from that. They're paying attention to fables. The Greeks had all these different cultures and all these different gods. And instead of submitting to Jesus, they wanted to have Jesus and everything else. We don't have that today. But back in the days, people wanted to have Jesus and everything else. That doesn't exist today. So we're not even going to touch on that, right? It's the reason why in Dominican Republic, a lot of Catholicism is practiced with the witchcraft of Santeria. Because instead of focusing on the true God, we've accepted everything. And we can go on and on and on, right? Don't pay attention to those fables. Let go of that, that you may follow Jesus. I even hear dear brothers in Christ who would say things, and I, I don't mean to be offensive in this, but just mean to be God-honoring. And, and I, I mean to say this in a lot of love. A lot of brothers who come from uh, Native American backgrounds who say, well, we pray to the real God. We pray to the Spirit. And I was like, wait a minute. There's a difference 
between Jesus and other gods. And there has to be a distinction. The scriptures give us a distinction. We can't just bring our culture into uh, and, and, and make it line up, right? Either the, the culture, uh, either, you know what I mean? Either it is what it is or, you know, it's a false gospel. It's a false truth. This, and endless genealogies. Now, the focus that they had was to focus on the genealogy. And if focusing on the genealogy means that you would focus on the glory of the flesh. So what people would start to do is look at where they came from to see who they were and what position, you know, and who, you know, uh, how important they were. Think about that. If you're focusing on the genealogy or where you came from, then you're not focusing on what Jesus did because when you come to faith in Jesus, now you belong to Abraham. Forget your genealogy. You're Abraham's seed, right? Who cares about your genealogy? Love what Pastor Keith told me. He said one man came to him. He said to him, I got the papers that prove that I'm a Levite and I'm a prophet and I think you're supposed to use me in your church. And Pastor Keith looked at him and said, you're a Levite. It's amazing because I've been looking for people to clean the church. We got dirty toilets every week and Levites used to clean the temple. So you want to fulfill your purpose, which is clean the church, right? And the guy never came back. I don't know why. I mean, he was just helping them fulfill the genealogy. Are you with me? If we glory in the flesh, we have no glory in Christ. You understand this? Don't get distracted. These things are the things of the flesh. And Paul said, instead of focusing on those things, verse 5 says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere, uh, from sincere faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Now what is the purpose of the commandment of God, of the law of God? What is the purpose of the scriptures? What is, why do we have them? And here, Paul gives us reasons for the Scriptures. Number one, the, the Scriptures purify us. Love from a pure heart. Man, when you turn to the Scriptures to know Jesus, He begins to purify you. It's just beautiful. The Scriptures purify. That's why the Bible says to husbands, Husbands, wash your wife in the water of the Word. What does that mean? Speak the Word of life over your wife. Speak life and peace and joy. That's your calling. Not to be critical, Right? Not to be pessimistic, not to scrutinize everything, to speak life. Are you with me? Where, where are the men of God who's saying amen real loud? <laughs> no, amen, somebody, amen. amen. All right. Going to do some marital counseling up in here. <laughs> so, all right. So, so, so the water purifies. The, the, the word of God is water that purifies. And when we come to the Scriptures, the purpose of Scriptures is to purify us. I don't know if you've been to Scripture and all of a sudden God's opened a Scripture that just, you feel like it's cleansing you. Man, I remember reading Jeremiah 2 the first time where God says, I've, I've got two sins against you. You've turned to false God and you're like a cistern with holes and you can't sustain life. And I remember God speaking that to me and I didn't feel condemned. I felt the love of God. I just felt this overwhelming love of God saying, I refuse to leave you this way. I want to make you whole that you can sustain life. I tell you, the Word of God purifies us. It teaches us to love. The Word of God, the, the, the commandments of God are for what purpose? That we would love. Love who? Love God. And get this, loving God means that we love others. Right? 
just to love God and love others. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. This is the intention of the Scriptures. A man of God who's about the Word of God, who's about the Scriptures, if someone is really about the Scriptures, you want to you know how you can tell? Do they love God? Do they love others? Do they, they speak purity? And second, if, as, you, as you read on, it says, uh, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The purpose of Scriptures is to produce a life that is guilt-free. A good conscience. You know how often the Bible... The Bible mentions us having a good conscience on a regular basis. Why? Because God cares about us not being loaded with condemnation. God is not interested in us walking in condemnation. But here's the reality. Why a good conscience? Why guilt-free? Because the purpose of the commandment is to teach us to walk according to His way so that because we're walking according to His way, we're not living in the guilt that comes from the sin that we practice. Does that make sense? When I'm practicing sin, I can't enjoy God because I'm walking outside of the boundaries of my relationship. But because I turn to the Word of God for Him, to know Him and to love Him, I learn to walk according to His way, and now I can be guilt-free. And when I fall short, praise God for the Word of God that reminds me He intercedes and prays for me on a regular basis. So when I fall short, I not only fall short, I learn to fall forward into His arms. Guilt-free. Guilt-free. And then the other factor is this, a sincere faith. And I love what Barnes' commentary says about that. It says, uh, it, it uses this, uh, uh, Barnes' commentary in regards to uh, living uh, in, in a genuine faith or sincere faith. It says, uses the word undissembled faith. When I looked at the definition of that to better understand that undissembled basically means this, a faith that has no deceit in it. In other words, a, a real faith, not a, fake it till you make it kind of faith i don't know if you've ever practiced the fake it till you make it kind of faith you know what i mean where you say something but you're not really meaning that what you say okay i'm the only one all right all right i got it you know because i've been at a place where people have been like how you doing brother and i've been terrible terribly depressed i'm blessed and highly favored glory to god the joy of god is all up in here how are you Anybody with me? I have a sincere, a genuine faith. It holds on to God no matter what. No, a, 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 a real faith, not a fake it till you make it kind of faith, but a real faith that in the midst of the crisis and the struggles, we can say, you know what, I'm going through this, but praise God, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. The purpose of Scripture, the fruit of Scripture, when we turn to Scripture, The purpose of it all is Jesus. And when we live in that reality and we keep true north to the fact that it is about Jesus, we'll find that we will live in purification, being purified by the Word of God. We'll love God and we'll learn to love others. We'll live a life free of guilt and we'll also live a life that's full of faith in Christ. Now verse 6 on down reads this way. I'm going to read 5 on down. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. In other words, Paul's saying, look, this is the purpose of the commandments, the purpose of the Word of God, that it will produce love, genuineness, that you would live guilt-free. Look, 
That's the purpose of the Spirit. It will purify you. But others, man, they're walking away from that. Instead, they're focusing on genealogies and, and the law, and they're trying to teach things they don't even understand. Now, remember, Paul has the right to say this because he was a Pharisee. And he was taught under the greatest Pharisee, the greatest teacher, which is Gamaliel. Not only was he able to teach the Pharisee because he was under the best education in the Jewish world, but he was also able to teach the Greek because he was under the best education in the Greek world. And he says, look, these boys, they don't know what they're doing. They think they understand what they're doing, but they have no idea what they're doing. And instead, they're walking away from their faith. It's a, it's a terrible tragedy. Now, as we move forward, there's a lot of things out there that look godly. They may have a form of godliness, but if the person or practice that may appear appear to be godly doesn't appear to produce a love for God, a love for others, and a life that's free from sin and sincere faith, then that practice is not godly. That person is not godly. I can know the scriptures left and right. I can know it in multiple languages. I can know Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. I can know all the practice of the law. I can know all the things. If I don't love God and love others, I am lost, utterly lost. Are you with me? I am completely, utterly lost and on my way to hell. I can know scriptures left. As a matter of fact, I will contend that Satan knows scriptures better than me. And probably... I will never know scriptures better than him on this side of eternity. From some extent. He doesn't know love. I know love. So I got that up on him all the time. Right? But listen. But the reality is that knowing stuff and sitting on the church board and being a leader in a church or going to church on Sunday and Wednesday and doing all the right things and having the right responses, all those things could be meaningless. I can do all that. Why does the Bible say in the end days? Part of that description is they have a form of godliness. They have a form. Look, they, they look like, but there's no power. There's no power in their living. It's addressing that reality. There's a lot of things that look godly. But if they don't produce love for God, love for others, a sincere faith and guilt-free living, it's not godly. One of the greatest teachers, I guess it, the school that I went to, they would say about this teacher, man, nobody will, you'll never hear anybody teach on the major prophets like this man. This man can teach the major prophets left and right, up and down. He's amazing. There's one problem. He's judgmental over the church and critical. So what can you produce? People who know scriptures who are critical of the church. Why do I want to be a Pharisee? Can I say that today? Why do I want to submit myself to someone who is judgmental over the church? I prefer knowing little scripture and loving the church and meeting Jesus that way than knowing a lot of scripture and not loving the church and meeting Jesus that way. Do you understand the ramifications here? This is, for re- this is serious. Now he goes on and he says, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. I'm going to read this and he reminds him of the charge and we'll come to a close as I finish these Last points. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. I want you to pay attention there. Timothy was prophesied over, and he's telling him, wage war with those prophecies that have been prophesied over you. Right? Wage war with these things. Just notice that. And then notice another thing. 
Verse 19, having a faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Again, don't steer away from having a sincere faith. Don't steer away from just walking in, in the word of the Lord and that, and that guilt-free uh, gospel, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So, in other words, some received it, some rejected it, some have shipwrecked. Listen, if there's a shipwreck, it means they were on a ship before. Are you following where I'm going? If there was a shipwreck, they were on a ship before. And what I'm trying to get you to see is we can receive this gospel, but we have to be involved with God's redemptive work. We can't take this position of, yeah, I gave my life to Christ back in 1988, and it was wonderful, you know. I lived like a hellion, but you know. I was saved back then, and I know I'm still saved. We can't take that position. We can't, as a matter of fact, in this scripture, when you look at the, uh, uh, um, uh, at the studies there and the people that he mentions, uh, Alexander, one of them, many believe are people who received and responded to the gospel but were never able to, set devi- you know, to, to walk away from the deviation there of their faith, uh, of their, uh, ju- um, either of Judaism or of their fable practices of the Greeks. Now, as we move forward, these charges I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I want you to understand what that means, deliver. What does that mean to deliver to Satan? What Paul is actually saying is, look, they're walking outside of God's commandment. Uh, so basically we're taking our hands off. We're releasing them. We're recognizing they're not a part of the body. They're walking outside of God's favor. We're not going to cover them with God's favor. Let them go. Not so that they would be in eternal hell, but rather so that as they go out there, they'll realize, look, I better come to my senses. So this is not for judgment. The Bible says that they will be instructed not to blaspheme because to deviate from Jesus and to walk in legalism or all that stuff is a, All of that is blasphemy before Christ. Because when we depend on those things, we're basically saying Jesus is not sufficient for us. Are you with me so far? So as we go forward, there were prophecies that were spoken over Timothy. It is clear that the church had an expectation that Timothy would do mighty things for God because God spoke to the church and there were things that were declared over Timothy in regards to his office and what he was supposed to do in the kingdom. There was prophetic word that was spoken to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you are to do this. And we can rightly deduct that something happened where Paul thought it was fit to take Timothy to train him so that he can pass on the mantle to him. Now, Do you realize that you and I have been prophesied over through scriptures? That you and I have been prophesied over many, many times? Now, maybe you're here and you're saying, I've been prophesied over. I remember coming to the church and and somebody prayed for me and they gave a prophetic word that I would would do this or, or, or that God wanted me to do that. And I know that that was of God. Praise God. Maybe you had that experience. Awesome. That's awesome. That's why the prophetic gifts are here for today. For freedom, for direction, for for rebuke and encouragement, right? Uh, but, but, you know, we don't need a prophet to speak over us to hear the prophetic word of God. Right? 
when you read your scriptures, God is speaking life. When you do your devotions, God is speaking life. You come in the worship. The worship team is leading worship. And all of a sudden, Pastor Laura or Sister Chris or Brother DJ, you know, they just get a revelation that speaks to you right where you're at. And you know that's for you. God is speaking life. When you sit in the church and you hear a sermon or a message, God prophetically is speaking into your life. I don't know about you, but I've been in places where it's like somebody gave the mail to the preacher and I don't like it. Anybody? Right? It's God speaking into our lives. Now, I want you to, let's, let's do a show of hands. How many of us can affirm that we've probably heard a hundred messages our whole life? A hundred. A hundred messages. A hundred sermons. Okay. How many of us can say that we've probably heard over a thousand messages in our lives? Okay. Let me ask you a question. How many of us think that we've read the Bible at least a hundred times in our lives? That. I mean, that's terrible for a believer, but we can say that we, we'd at least pick up the Bible to read it in all our life at least a hundred times, right? How many of us can say that we've at least read the Bible ten times in our lives? Well, congratulations, because you've joined the elite of the world. There are billions of people who wish they had a page of the Bible, There are people right now longing for Scripture in their language. And they don't come close to the revelation that you've heard prophesied from pulpits. This is what God says. This word of mine, prophetic word, you're to take it to wage war. You're to take it to wage war. What are we doing with the word of God that we're hearing? The Word of God, what is the purpose of Scripture? For genuine faith, for purification, for loving God and others. It should lead us to this place. We should take this Word and use it as a tool to wage war against the enemy. How about in your devotional life? Have you ever heard a word from God that you know that's a life verse? you ever heard the term life verse? It means that God spoke to you and you know, oh, that verse is for me and that's like for life. I remember it was, uh, I woke up. Because I, I had this dream of an alarm clock that went off in my mind, and the alarm clock was flashing 11, 12, 11, 12, 11, 12. And I woke up and I was like, What is that about? It was like six something in the morning. I had to get up to go to a board meeting of an organization I was a part of. And as I was driving on my way to this board, uh, I felt the Lord tell me as best as I could hear, You know, maybe you should read Hebrews 11, 12. It just stuck in my mind Hebrews 11, 12. And I said to myself, Okay, today, sometime, I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 12. I get to this board meeting. When I get to the board meeting, the lady who leads devotion says, I feel like the Lord wants me to read Hebrews 11, 12. So I'm thinking, I think I got to pay attention. I don't know. Maybe I should focus a bit. And so I'm sitting there and I'm hearing this, her read Hebrews 11, 12. Basically, the verse says, and Abraham, even though he was as good as dead, God was able to use him to produce a mighty nation, right? Uh, 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 innumerable as the sand in the seas. And at that point... And at that point in my life, I was so defeated. It was one of those points, not the only point, but one of those points where you, you come to the realization that you're not God, He is. And He doesn't have to reveal His plans to your life. One of those points, I, I wish it was the only point that this needed to happen in my life, but it's not. 
Uh, the point where I just came to the end of myself and I tried everything, all my strength, and I came to the end of my self-sufficiency and I was just, I was at a dark place. I was at a very dark place and I needed to hear a word from God. You know what God was saying to me? He was saying, son, I need you to be at this place. I need you to come to the end of yourself so that I can get the glory as I work through you. Right? But at the same time, it was encouraging me because God says, don't worry. I got you in this. I know you look dead. I know that you've come to the end of your self-sufficiency, but that's my plan. Because there I'm going to do mighty things. There I can work. That's a life verse for me. The John 5, you seek the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but you ignore the reason for scripture. It's a life verse for me. It guards me now when I study the scripture. Are you with me? What's your life verse? How is God speaking to you? I want you to just think, or maybe jot down, what are verses that throughout your Christian walk, God spoke to you, said, man, that's your life, that's scripture is for you. Hmm? What is God saying? I believe that we're supposed to take those, receive those as words for us prophetically from God, and we're to stand on them and wage war. What are the promises of God over you? No weapon formed against you will prosper. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll rise up a standard against the enemy. Hmm? What does the Word of God say about, about your victory in Christ? You're more than a conqueror to Christ Jesus who loves you. How do we do life without these things? We're not supposed to. So what is the purpose of Scripture? I, I hope I haven't been too crazy here up and down. The purpose of Scripture is Jesus. And when Jesus is at the center of our lives, man, that's going to produce love for God, love for others, genuine faith, uh, guilt-free because we're living according to his word. We're going to take that word and we're going to wage war. We're going to stand our ground because we have life verses and the prophetic word that's been declared over us. We know how to stand in him. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Thank you, sir. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. At the end of my life, I'd rather that it be said about me that was, an, that was a man who didn't know much scripture, but he sure loved Jesus. I'd rather hear that than hearing that was a man who didn't love Jesus much and he knew a whole lot of scripture. I'm not saying that I'm going to be negligent about studying the word. But I'm saying when I study the word, do you, my growth for loving God should be greater I want it to be greater than just my knowledge. I want my relationship and the ministry here at The Rock and all that we do to be about really genuinely just loving Jesus. Love for Jesus that breaks any critical spirit off of us. We would love each other. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. I bless you, Lord.
because of what you've done, I can enter into the Holy of Holies. Not because of what I've done, not because of what I'm capable of, and not because of what I'm working for, but because of what you've done. And I thank you for your scriptures, that they purify me, they cleanse me, they teach me to love you and to love others and to live according to your commandments, Lord God, and to have genuine faith, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that through your scriptures and the prophetic words declared over me, God, that I can wage war and stand my ground. Lord, I thank you that your church would walk in that victory. God, that as we seek the scriptures, we would seek the scriptures for the freedom that we find in you and not for the legalism that binds us. Lord, I thank you for freedom in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? Um, I realize, I realize that there's some legalism in my life that, in a sense, I've been doing all the right things, but I'm finding myself not really loving Jesus. Like I've fallen away from that personal relationship. I love righteousness. I love godliness. I love all these things. But I, I realize that there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect there. In my relationship and my genuine talks with Jesus. And I need prayer in the area. If that's you, would you just come to the altar right now? You know, instead of me praying for you, I just want to welcome you to come to the altar and just hang out. Kneel at the altar. And just make this an intimate time where you and Jesus can have that. Re, re, rekindle that fire again of that personal relationship. You're saying you're here today and you realize, you know what? I've been doing all the God things for the wrong reasons. I've been doing all the God things for the wrong reasons. And I, and I want to get those things right before him. If that's you, would you come up to the altar? Would you come up to the altar? Would you come up to the altar? And uh, the last thing is, maybe you're here today and you've been really affected by legalism talk or by um, just practicing legalism in your life. Uh, I don't know, that, that can take so many different turns and look so many different ways. But I guess it all produces the same thing, a spirit of condemnation. You're here and you're feeling, you know, you're weighed down by condemnation and you don't want condemnation to continue to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. If that's you today. Would you come up to the altar? We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. And you're saying, you know, I'm fed up. I'm fed up coming to church every week, feeling good on Sundays and going back to the same old condemnation every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just feeling defeated. I'm tired. You're realizing that the way that you think your thinking patterns are arresting you and you're keeping yourself from receiving the grace of God and you're saying, I want to give that up today. I don't want to get in the way of my relationship with Him. That's you. Would you come to the altar? We'd love to pray with you. We love to pray with you. Amen. If the altar workers can help me at this time, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for victory. Thank you, God, that we will love your word for the right reasons. Thank you that we will be at your feet and at your feet. <laughs> thank you, God, that we will walk side by side and know you and hear your voice. Lord, that we won't deviate from true north, loving you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, the altars are open. We'll be praying for you.